So welcome to the GUT podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer in Consultant and Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK, and current visiting research fellow at the National Cancer Institute in the USA. In my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month, we are discussing the manuscript from the May issue of GUT entitled Characterization of Fecal Protease Activity in Irritable Bowel Syndrome with Diarrhea, Origin and Effect of GUT Transit. This is presented by Professor Robin Spiller and colleagues from the NIHR Nottingham Digestive Diseases Biomedical Research Unit in the UK. I'm delighted to welcome two authors here today, Professor Spiller, Professor of Gastroenterology, and also Dr. David Tooth, protein chemist and co-researcher. So welcome to you both. Irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, is a condition that gastroenterologists very frequently encounter in clinical practice. As an introduction to your paper, Can you give us a brief overview of what is currently known of the etiology of IBS, the disease pathogenesis, and currently available treatments? Okay, well, uh, I'm Professor Robin Spiller, and it's a pleasure to uh, make this contribution to the podcast. IBS is an incredibly common condition, perhaps 10 to 15% of the female population and and around half that of males. Uh, And it's something that develops in, in early adulthood, usually. Uh, There's probably a genetic predisposition because there's a strong familial tendency, but there usually has to be some sort of precipitant that sets it off. And it could be psychological stress, it could be infectious gastroenteritis, or it might be a change in diet. Now, when uh, investigated, the standard tests we normally do as gastroenterologists are all normal. Uh, If you look at function, they often have, uh, the patients often have either transit which is too slow or too fast and they many of them show hypersensitivity to colonic stimuli. Um, Now if you look more detail at the lining of the gut we often find evidence that the permeability is abnormal uh, and some studies have shown that mast cell numbers are increased uh, and there's some evidence of mast cell activation. So that's the background of the etiology You asked about treatments. Well, most of our treatments are symptomatic and they're not that good in the sense that uh, the number needed to treat is usually pretty high. It's worth noting that the placebo response in most clinical trials is pretty large, about 40%. uh, And that certainly suggests that reassurance is pretty important in the management. These patients often think they've got something seriously wrong with them. uh, and, And telling them you know what's wrong with them and giving them a treatment often helps. Now those with diarrhea, uh, we've got some quite good treatments, particularly serotonin um, uh, receptor 3 antagonists and possibly loperamide in some patients. And constipation, well that can respond to bulking agents or newer agents like uh, secretoglogs such as linaclotide. Um, Many of the subjects will respond to antispasmodics. Uh, And then the other line of treatment we've got is psychological therapies. And these may well be stronger than drugs, but they're very time consuming and they're not widely available. Your paper investigates fecal proteases in the stool from patients with diarrhea predominant IBS or IBSD. Tell us about these proteases and what is currently known about these in GI disease. So proteases are ubiquitous. I'm no chemist, Dr. Tooth is, but uh, I understand that they're very widely distributed throughout the animal kingdom. And in our upper gut, they're predominantly digestive uh, function. They, they break down proteins to form amino acids, which are then absorbed. 
uh, they themselves are very big proteins, and when they get to the colon, they're usually broken down by bacterial proteases. Now, we got interested in these because, uh, first of all, there were reports that people with IBSD had got higher levels in the stool, uh, and secondly, that um, particularly when they act on protease-activated protease receptors in the gut, they can cause visceral hypersensitivity. They also make the gut permeable. So these are two features which are, are observed in IBS. And obviously, there was the thought that they might be important in the mechanism of disease. Uh, they also, these receptors are found very widely on nerves, on, uh, on enterocytes, also on enterendocrine cells that secrete serotonin. And that may also be important in IBS. Um, now, there is a range of protease-activated receptors. They're rather unusual receptors. They've got a tethered ligand, and the enzyme cleaves that ligand, and then the receptor is activated. There are four major ones in, in, in humans. Uh, thrombin activates protease receptor 1. Um, the mast cell tryptase activates part 2, and that's the one that's the most interest, because if you activate those enzymes, you cause hypersensitivity, at least in mice. Um, uh, and then we know these enzymes are pretty important in gut inflammation, too, because animals that have had this receptor knocked out get much less inflammation in quite a range of experimental models. So that's why we were interested in them. So you hypothesized that these fecal proteases may be bacterial in origin and may be a potential therapeutic target for IBS. What led you to this hypothesis? And what was the aim of the current study? So the idea that the proteases were bacterial in origin comes from the Toulouse group, who've done most of the work in this area. Uh, they first reported that the levels were raised, and they used some specific uh, substrates and inhibitors of mast cell tryptase to show that it wasn't mast cell origin. Uh, and they looked at the relationship with other pancreatic enzymes and didn't find a correlation, though I should say their study was quite small. Um, they, they didn't actually characterize these enzymes structurally, but postulated that they were bacterial in origin. Uh, and, and we thought this was uh, possibly a good biomarker for the disease and also a therapeutic target. And so we decided that the, the important missing link was to find the chemical structure of these enzymes in, in more detail, and that's what we set out to do. So now let's consider the method you used. The study was conducted in two parts. Tell us about this and how participants were recruited. Yes, well, we started off um, in part one. We had uh, we were running a trial anyway in IBSD, and we had the first 36 patients who were entering this trial uh, at baseline. As part of the screening, they provided a stool sample. So we used that, and we had nine healthy controls who had been paid for their services. And they were very well characterized. They filled in questionnaires, so we'd exclude they got IBS, and they had biopsies and, um, and a stool sample. Now, the, the second part uh, used, which occurred after the first part, obviously, um, uh, used uh, 79 patients who took part in the trial uh, which was a crossover trial, involved treatment and placebo. So we took the stool sample they provided during the placebo arm, um, 
and we, got, we recruited another 21 healthy controls. Uh, and in this group, as with the patients, we measured uh, gut transit uh, using a radio marker method. So we've got full characterization of symptoms, transit, and the stool sample to measure the, the protein. And then finally, we had uh, another 21 volunteers who we treated with uh, polyethylene glycol electrolyte, uh, a bowel prep, to empty out the bowel, get rid of the uh, resident bacteria, and to test the hypothesis that accelerating transit and reducing the bacterial content of the colon would elevate uh, fecal um, proteases. So how did you assess the structural and functional characteristics of the faecal proteases? Uh, hello, uh, I'm David Tooth, uh, and I'm a, a Chief Experimental Officer in the uh, School of Life Sciences at the University of Nottingham. Um, so firstly, uh, we need to use uh, a standard good sampling process. Um, so uh, all samples were frozen uh, as soon as possible, uh, certainly uh, within two hours uh, from the time they were passed. And these were processed uh, in batches after thawing. Um, so initially, particles were uh, cleared using a combination of uh, centrifugation and filtration, and samples were diluted into the uh, required levels. Um, total protein concentrations were measured using the classic uh, graph, I'd say, uh, and this allowed us to normalize our results. Uh, we quantified the amounts of total protease in samples using a high-throughput chromatic method. Uh, this was based on proteolytic cleavage of azocasin, which liberates orange azopeptides. Uh, these could be measured by absorbance at 440 nanometers. Uh, this assay uh, also allowed us to demonstrate the high contribution of serine proteases to proteolysis uh, by using additions of specific chemical inhibitors of activity. Since the proteomic analyses, uh, profiling of protein composition was then hypothesis-led. Uh, we could use a highly specific uh, affinity chromatography protocol. Uh, we used the ligand benzamidine, which binds to the active sites of serine proteases. So we use this to selectively enrich serine proteases from a really complex mixture of proteins. Uh, these are components from microbes, the diet, and components secreted from gut tissue. Chromatography was initially optimized using a liquid chromatograph, uh, that's a pumped system. Then we moved over to simple centrifugal spin columns uh, at higher throughput. Proteases uh, are retained at neutral pH and we diluted them uh, at low pH. So these purified proteins were then profiled side by side using uh, a simple SDS uh, polyacrylamide gel electrophoresis. The protein bands were identified by sequencing the polypeptides using mass spectrometry. And then sequence data were used to interrogate database uh, gene sequences. Uh, the peptides that we analyzed have been obtained by digestion of proteins actually uh, in gel pieces uh, using uh, a sequencing protease. Uh, this is slightly confusing because this is actually a modified pig trypsin. The proteomic data was uh, shown to be uh, very specific the identifications were uh, both statistically sound. They also allowed us uh, to compare uh, aligned gene sequences uh, together with detected peptide sequence. 
So our data showed uh, increased amounts of uh, human trypsins and uh, camotrypsin, but no mast cell tryptase, which is strictly quite good. Uh, interestingly, amylase was also recovered, uh, presumably by alternative interactions uh, during the chromatography. We then used um, commercial uh, immunomatsaves, uh, these were in kit form, and uh, being antibody based, these were very specific assays, mostly based on uh, a LISA mechanism. So using these, we were able to uh, also validate and quantitate uh, the observed biomarkers, uh, the elements of pancreatic enzymes, uh, including amylase and elastase, also to confirm the absence of tryptase. So can you tell us about the differences you found on fecal protease profiles between IBSD patients and healthy controls? Okay, so what we found was uh, quite strong bands on the gels in the patients corresponded to pancreatic enzymes, which were um, largely absent in the control. Interestingly, we did have one control who looked more like a patient, and when we uh, interrogated their uh, symptoms more closely, we found that actually they did suffer from urgency and abnormal pain, although they claimed they were normal. Um, but they didn't actually have enough symptoms to meet the Rome criteria. So I think um, uh, that was certainly an interesting Finding and suggested that the uh, that these proteases might be good markers of disease. So, what were the main findings when you considered protease activity between two groups? Okay, so what we found when we looked at the uh, the, the total activity, um, that there was really quite a wide variation. Um, it might really have even been two populations because. Um, about 40% of the IBSD showed quite high values. Um, now, some of the normal controls also did that. Um, uh, so, that indicates that there's some features uh, other than just having IBS that drive it. But it's, it's certainly striking that as a group, the IBSD had bigger values. And was there any correlation to gut transit? Yeah, well, that's, that's what we thought might be the case. Because, of course, what I should say is that IBS, anything you measure in IBS shows this sort of pattern. You get some people with very high values and some that look normal. Um, and so we, we, we had measured gut transit. What we found was that there was an inverse correlation. So that people who had very short transit times had quite high levels. And that probably accounted for this, this tail of the very high values. And quite a lot of the IBSs have relatively normal transit. So as you mentioned earlier, you use colonic cleansing to assess impact of microbial-derived proteases. What did you find? Well, leading on from the idea that transit might uh, correlate with inversely with the, with the uh, levels of these enzymes, we thought, well, the best way to do it is to accelerate transit artificially. So we, we were doing a study where we gave uh, a bowel prep polyethylene glycol, which washes out the bowel and speeds up transit enormously. Uh, and what we found was that on the day of the purge, when they were passing loose stool, the values of fecal protease went up fourfold. Uh, we'd also got those stool samples and measured the number of bacteria, and we showed that there was a hundredfold fall in the total number of bacteria. Uh, and, it, and then we interrogated this a bit further. We found that there was a weak negative correlation with an index species, uh, Fecalobacterium prausnitzii. Um, and 
this really supports our idea that the normal fecal microbiota actually degrade human trypsin and when you wash them out that's why the levels rise. So can you speculate on the potential impact of the increased fecal protease activity you identified in IBSD patients on the pathogenesis of the condition? Yes, well now this is the real importance of the paper because of course the point that's been made already is that these enzymes sensitize the rectum, uh, certainly in mice, um, and there's lots of uh, experimental work that tells us that these uh, enzymes will make the gut leakier, will sensitize the nerves, maybe increase the amount of serotonin. So um, normal people, of course, don't get high trypsin levels. We make about 500 milligrams of trypsin, but we only excrete about five because most of that's degraded by bacteria. And you can show this, that if you kill the bacteria with antibiotics, for example, the fecal protease goes right up. And these patients who've got fast transit, uh, they're getting a lot of these enzymes into their rectum, and that's what's giving them the urgency. Now, it's difficult to show correlations with, with symptoms in IBS, because there's so many things that cause, uh, contribute to the symptoms, but we were very pleased to find a correlation with urgency. Um, uh, and interestingly enough, people who are experienced a lot of urgency had high fecal proteases, so did people who were very anxious. Uh, and that may be the anxiety is driving the fast transit, that's sensitizing the rectum, that's giving you the urgency. Now we were able to treat, I told you we got these patients from the Ondansipon trial, so this was very effective at slowing transit. Um, and what we showed was when we compared the fall in transit and the fall in the fecal protease, there was a good correlation. It strongly argues that the high protease is caused by rapid transit. So finally, how could these findings be translated into clinical practice in the future? Well, um, a couple of things. First of all, there are a number of foods uh, which have natural inhibitors of trypsin. Um, uh, and obviously, as foods, uh, sort of egg protein, soya protein, wheat um, proteins, um, these could be easily made into drugs. They could be enteric coated and delivered to the colon. That's one possibility. So they could be a target for therapy. The other thing is, it perhaps explains why once you control the diarrhea in IBSD, uh, you often need much less treatment to control symptoms because the thing is, it's a, it's a vicious circle. Uh, the more sensitive the rectum, the more frequently they defecate, the faster the transit. If you can reverse that process uh, by any means, you often find that the patient needs much less ongoing treatment to control symptoms. So, so ondansetron, for example, works really well, um, inhibits urgency, uh, and triptyline can do as well. And you're often surprised how somebody who's got these terrible symptoms, can be, they can be controlled with quite... Um, uh, weak drugs in many ways and as I say I think it's because you're interrupting a, a vicious circle. The, the other thing I would say is if we did specifically target urgency and these proteases they would be locally acting treatments and they'd be very safe, they wouldn't be absorbed uh, so they'd be very free from side effects which is a, a bugbear of, of treatments of IBS. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank Professor Robin Spiller and Dr. David Tooth for joining me today. Thank you very much. Pleasure.